Welcome to Healthy vs. Toxic, the podcast where licensed mental health professionals explore what makes a relationship healthy or unhealthy or even abusive, all from a scientifically informed perspective. Hello, this is Dr. Grande. Today's question asks, what are the signs that someone is repulsed by you? So a while back, I released a video called The Five Signs Someone is Attracted to You. And one of the questions I received as a result is kind of look at the other side of that, right? What about repulsion and disgust, which is a fair question. So repulsion is when somebody acts on the emotion of disgust. It's a strong sense of aversion. So repulsion is what happens because of disgust, some of the time. Other times, somebody may feel disgust, but not react to the point where they're repulsed. Now, disgust can be considered a form of behavioral loss aversion that protects resources, including the integrity of one's body. So it serves a purpose. There are many theories about how many types of disgust there are, but essentially, if we look at the literature, it all comes down to two types, physical and moral disgust. Interestingly, we see it argued in the research literature that moral disgust is actually a separate emotion from physical disgust. Sometimes moral disgust can be referred to as contempt. Now, contempt is distinct from physical disgust in a few different ways. It's felt exclusively toward human beings. It implies a sense of superiority. There are pessimistic feelings there about the possibility of that person bettering themselves. And we see a detachment from the person, from the object of the disgust, an avoidance driven by detachment, not driven by fear. Disgust is different. It can be directed at a number of possible targets. It implies contamination sensitivity, a fear of contamination, and avoidance driven by fear. So I'm going to answer this question about how can you tell if somebody's repulsed by you by looking at the 10 signs that somebody is repulsed by you. Throughout this video, for the sake of clarity, I'm going to use a person A, person B scenario. So person A is the person who is thought of by person B as being disgusting or repulsive. So person B is repulsed by person A. Technically speaking, person A is the repellent, right? That's what, that's what we call somebody who's repulsive when we talk about it from a scientific point of view. It doesn't sound great, but it's the technical term. They are a repellent. Just to create a little more clarity, I'm making person A male and person B female. And this is simply so I can make a distinction using the pronouns he and she and him and her instead of referring to everybody as they, which becomes confusing when trying to illustrate the points I'm going to illustrate in these 10 signs. Now, before I go into the signs, I'm going to cover a few factors that it's important to keep in mind when evaluating signs like this. The first factor would be baseline behaviors. Some people look like they are repulsed by everybody. They tend to be disgusted by everybody. So they're going to manifest what appears to be the signs of repulsion. Whenever evaluating somebody else's behavior, you have to know what they're like normally. If somebody always screams and runs away when somebody else approaches them, if they do that to you, it might not be related to anything specific about you. The second factor is sensitivity. Some people are very aware of what people are doing around them. So they're going to perceive a lot of nonverbal communication that may not signify anything. And they may distort both nonverbal and verbal communication. So if person A tends to believe that other people 
feel negatively toward him, when he encounters person B, he'll think the same thing of her. Having this tendency is associated with low self-esteem, depression, anxiety, high neuroticism, vulnerable narcissism, and the construct of the highly sensitive person, which is not a mental disorder, it's just a set of traits that are studied in the research literature. And we also see a number of other mood states and personality traits associated with this tendency. The third factor to keep in mind is the difference between repulsion and someone just being uninterested. If person B finds person A unattractive, that's not the same thing as being disgusted by person A. Sometimes the signs of a lack of attraction are similar to the signs of disgust, contempt, and repulsion. When I go through the signs, I'll try to illustrate how one might be able to differentiate this kind of neutral stance from something like disgust. So now let's take a look at the 10 signs that somebody might be repulsed by you. So sign number one is physical proximity. This is one of the more obvious signs of repulsion, but it can manifest in a few different ways. One way that I've seen it expressed is based on a continuous distance, right? So imagine you're in an event where people are mingling, like a party, some sort of social event, and person A starts to approach person B, like walking over toward person B or maybe just walking in person B's direction. With continuous distance, person B is going to keep a minimum distance from person A if they're repulsed by them. Let's just use the example of three feet, one yard. So it's like person B is holding out a yardstick, and as soon as person A reaches the end of that yardstick, person B is going to move in the other direction to maintain that one yard of separation. And of course, you can substitute any distance in for this within reason. I mean, you couldn't substitute in like a mile or something, but I've seen people that have limits that are more like four or five feet or even 10 feet. Again, if the person is really repulsing them, right? If they're really disgusted by that person, they might maintain a lot of distance. Next physical proximity example is based on compression. So with continuous distance, that one yard again is always maintained. With compression, instead of holding a yardstick, it's like person A is holding a spring that's three feet long. So as person A gets closer than that three feet, that spring starts to compress. The way we see it manifest is like tension, just like we would see a spring physically compress. We would see the tension as it builds potential energy, while person B compresses as she looks to release the energy, right? She's looking to reestablish that distance of three feet or create even more distance. So as person A is talking to person B, as that tension builds for person B, she eventually walks off in the other direction, unnerved. So sign number two is a failure to engage. So at this sign, somebody simply doesn't engage in a meaningful interaction with another person. So if person A and person B are in a social situation, person B is not even going to make eye contact or initiate any type of conversation. If person A walks up to person B and says something casual like, how are you, or some other small talk, person B looks away or says something dismissive. This one makes person B look a bit condescending and arrogant. This one is also fairly obvious and can tend to get a bit awkward. It's not the best way to handle that feeling of disgust. I saw a situation like this where person B, so to speak, looked at her watch as person A was talking to her, and person A became upset and asked her if she was ignoring him. And she pretended like she didn't see him even when he was standing there the whole time. And then she kind of 
stopped looking at her watch and said, oh, I didn't see you standing there, when it was fairly obvious that she did. Later, I found out that it wasn't necessarily narcissism in this particular case, maybe a little, but person B was really disgusted and repulsed by person A and just wanted to get away from him. So sign number three is rapid, unnecessary disengagement. So what do I mean by this? So let's assume that person A and person B both work in a setting like an office. And person A approaches person B, maybe in a hallway or in one of those offices, and starts talking. So person B is looking around, trying to establish eye contact with another coworker. So in a nonverbal way, kind of saying, help me get out of this conversation. She may be looking at her phone, wishing it would beep or ring or whatever it does, looking for some way to get away from person A without having to be direct, without really facing what's going on. Here we can see that tension I was referring to in that first sign, like the tension is really building. If no organic way to escape presents itself, she might just walk away without saying anything, or she might try to present an excuse that's clearly fabricated. There are some other ways to initiate an unnecessary disengagement. Person B may inquire as to what activities person A needs to attend to. So she may say, do you have some place to be right now? Or aren't you late for a meeting? Kind of trying to push him along a bit. If the conversation started out with a request to ask a question, but then got off course, like if person A said, hey, I have a question for you, but then they started talking about something else, person B might say, you said you had a question? Kind of rushing things along, again, just like that other example. Hi there, I'm Heather Drago. And I'm Sarah Saunders. We host the podcast, That's a Hard No, about saying no and setting boundaries. So you can become that true and empowered you that this world needs. Saying no isn't just okay. It's the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor. So while this podcast is in no way a replacement for one-on-one therapy, I suppose I know what I'm talking about. I'd say so. We talk about learning to say no and set healthy boundaries and how it impacts mental health, physical health, relationships, parenthood, and more. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit our website, hardknowpodcast.com. We're here to help you find your no and say it unapologetically. That's a hard no. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Now, I think that some of this, of course, could just mean that somebody's busy. Again, not all these definitely mean that somebody's repulsed. They're just indicators that may mean that in some instances. A good example of a behavior that gets misinterpreted a lot would be if person B appears bored. That could just indicate that she is not attracted or she's neutral in terms of attraction. That doesn't necessarily mean that there's contempt. Number four is lying about availability, right? So this one's based on deception. 
So perhaps person A says, will you be around after lunch? I want to talk to you about something. And person B says, no, I have an appointment after lunch, when really there is no appointment. So person B will always be occupied when person A is inquiring. It is actually an effective way of maintaining distance. But again, deception isn't always the best way to handle these types of feelings. Number five, also kind of based on deception, pretending to be on a cell phone or otherwise distracted by some sort of technology. I've seen some pretty uncomfortable instances of this, including one where person B was pretending to talk on a cell phone and a third person, bystander, who felt the person B's behavior was narcissistic, called that phone, right? So it rang while she was pretending that she was talking on it. And it was very obvious that she wasn't talking on it. There was another situation where person A was standing at a counter and person B was at a desk behind the counter. And person B said that she had a message coming in that she had to attend to, like an instant message or something like that. And again, she acted like she was reading it and person A leaned over and looked at the computer and it was off. So again, just kind of speaks to the same point that there are better ways to handle this, at least potentially less embarrassing ways. Number six, we see here never sharing personal information. Even the basic things that most anybody could figure out or is already known by everybody. So this is an actual discussion that I've heard, right? So person A and person B here. Person A says, so do you have children? Person B says, well, it's hard to say. Person A says, so you're not sure if you have children? And person B says, well, there's no way to be certain about these things, right? And during this conversation, there was a picture on person B's desk of her children. So either person B is being deceptive or she's really skeptical. She couldn't even be convinced their own kids existed, right? So this is one of the situations where it may be better just to be direct and say, I don't feel comfortable talking about personal matters because trying to deny it in a kind of a strange way by saying there's no way to be sure about kids existing just seems kind of strange. So number seven here has to do with facial expressions. And interestingly, with disgust, there are two perceptually distinct facial expressions. A closed expression, this is where somebody has a scrunched nose and closed mouth, and an open expression. This is where somebody has a scrunched nose, but their mouth is open and they have a protruding tongue. If somebody's making that facial expression when you walk up to them, that's a pretty good sign that they are repulsed. Moving to sign number eight, this sign has to do with a situation where person A is perceived by person B as having done something morally wrong. If person B is sensitive to physically disgusting stimuli, like spoiled food, rodents, insects, or pathogen-bearing substances, it's likely she would also be more sensitive to moral transgressions. So the physical disgust seems to be connected in some way to the moral disgust. Sign number nine is if person B has a negative body image of themselves. This is actually associated with higher self-disgust, higher disgust propensity, and higher disgust sensitivity. If somebody has a negative body image, they're more likely to see others as disgusting. So that brings me to sign number 10. Now this one is fairly obvious, but it's something that's supported in the literature, so I want to try to include it in this list. And this is nausea and vomiting. And I've actually seen this a couple of times, specifically related to disgust. Both instances involve someone who was malodorous, right? So this one's actually a fairly good indicator that somebody's disgusted. 
The fact that person B is repulsed by person A doesn't really tell us anything definitive about the personality structures of either person. It could be that person A is narcissistic, obnoxious, unpleasant, so it makes sense that person B would be repulsed by him. Or it could be that person B is narcissistic and she feels like she's too good or superior to engage with people she doesn't consider elite. Both people could be narcissistic. Person A may want to appear disgusting in an effort to drive person B away. I've seen that before many times. Or person B might be pretending as a manipulation tactic. I've also seen that many times. So we see a lot of possibilities when we observe repulsion, disgust, or contempt. So if you walk up to somebody at a party and they refuse to make eye contact with you or say anything to you as they pull out their cell phone and pretend to be making an appointment, all the while scrunching their nose, walking away from you, only to vomit a moment later, you may want to consider the possibility that that person is repulsed by you. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of Ars Longa Media. The executive producer is Dr. Patrick Beeman. For more content, please visit our website at arslanga.media. To leave feedback or suggestions, send an email to info at arslanga.media. To find more content from Dr. Grande, including a link to his YouTube channel and his other Ars Longa podcasts, visit our website at arslanga.media. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and should not be construed as medical or mental health advice. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis. Welcome to the Bravery Academy. My name is Emma Ferris and I'm your host. This podcast is crafted to share the stories of courageous individuals who have overcome adversity and found the courage to live their best lives. We'll explore the science of well-being, courage and connection and interview top thought leaders, game changers and survivors. And it's from these stories that we learn what resilience is, how to heal, how to recover and how to be brave.